I want to begin with some statistics. And I will tell you as I begin with these statistics, these statistics have absolutely impacted every one of us, all right, in some way or another. According to some statistics from worldmeters.info, when we speak of, the, imp- of the, the impact of our lives of the pandemic over the last two years, I'm going to share some of these statistics. 939,427 people have died with coronavirus in the United States of America. With coronavirus. 5.79 million people have died worldwide with coronavirus. And I would submit that when we look at these numbers, because they are staggering, we would rightly recognize what the last couple of years have been as a pandemic. Again, if if you know, the word pandemic simply means an infectious disease that spreads to the point that it it navigates across lands, across continents. I think we all agree and understand that over the course of the last couple of years, we've literally seen a pandemic. We've seen an infectious disease navigate the scope of the entire world, and almost 6 million people have died with coronavirus since the first people died in Wuhan, China. But I would ask you this question. Did you know that according to the census, the United States census, in 2021, last year, 18.4 million children under the age of 18 live without a biological step or adoptive father? That's one out of every four children under the age of 18 in the United States of America. Eight. 18.4 million. And that might not seem like that big of a deal. And let's just be honest, it may not. You may hear that and you may think, well, I mean, it's unfortunate, right? But it's not that big of a deal. I mean, if we're talking about comparing statistics, the first set of statistics we reference were in reference to people losing their lives. This second set of statistics is in reference to homes where children under the age of 18 do not have a biological step or adoptive father present. I want to share some more statistics with you, statistics that you can find at fatherhood.org. When you consider 18.4 million children in the United States alone under the age of 18 who do not have the influence of a man in their lives, consider these statistics. Fatherless homes are four times more likely to experience poverty than homes that have fathers in them. Teen pregnancy is seven times more likely in fatherless homes. Children from fatherless homes are more likely to have behavioral problems. Children in these homes where fathers are not present are more likely to face abuse and neglect. There is a two times higher rate of infant mortality in fatherless homes than in homes where fathers are present. Children from fatherless homes are more likely to abuse drugs and alcohol. Children from fatherless homes are more likely to go to prison. They're two times more likely to suffer obesity. They're more likely to commit crime. And they're two times more likely to drop out of high school. Those statistics and outcomes are more likely for one out of every four kids in America today. 
The first thing I want to say in regards to these statistics is this. Fatherlessness is not a death sentence to children. It's not a death sentence to children. But we cannot escape the consequences that are clear for those who do not have a father physically present in the home. And by the way, we haven't even talked about fathers who are emotionally absent in the home. These statistics were just physically absent fathers. Emotionally absent fathers are a completely separate set of statistics. And I would submit to you this morning, we're definitely living in the midst of a pandemic. And I don't want to minimize the effects or the experiences that anybody has had when it is related to coronavirus. And I think part of the reason I find myself struggling and feeling such great passion for what I'm sharing this morning and where we're going here in 2 Timothy 2 is that we don't want to talk about the problem. We want to talk about the symptoms of the problem. We want to talk about crime. We want to talk about teen pregnancy. We want to talk about how do we curb these things? How do we? And those are good conversations. But when are we going to talk about the problem? When is the church going to lead the charge of saying the problem in America is fatherlessness? Amen? If one out of every four children are impacted by these statistics of fatherlessness in America alone, you know people who are impacted. And we're living in the midst of a pandemic. And when Pastor Aaron and I were talking this week, i got to give credit where credit's due. Pastor Aaron said, we're living in the midst of a mandemic. We literally have a worldwide, but in our context this morning, a countrywide problem of fatherlessness. We're struggling in the United States of America. And you may be thinking, what are you, like, what is this, your soapbox, Pastor? Like, what, what? Where does this come from? We've been talking about making disciples, and then you begin this morning with unloading a bunch of statistics about the state of homes and and fatherlessness in America. What's the relationship? I would remind you of the words of 2 Timothy chapter 2. Follow along with me if you're there. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Let's take just a moment and pray together as we begin. Father, I pray this morning, God, that you would guard uh, my heart and that you would guard my mind, that you would guard my lips. I pray this morning, especially, God, that as we look into your word, that you would allow me, God, that you would help me to communicate um, your heart. And, And this is something, God, that I am feel strongly about. I'm passionate when it comes to this this issue that is plaguing America, and not just America, but the world as a whole. And so I pray today, God, that you would allow me to uh, keep those passions and those emotions in check, but God, that we would be challenged today by the truth of your word. Our society, our culture as a whole is crumbling under the weight of fatherlessness. And we don't even talk about it. 
We talk about every symptom of every problem, and we try to come up with every solution to to help change this and to help change that. And God, that's not bad in and of itself, but I pray today that you would stir our hearts to see the problem, to to want to deal with the problem, God, and and just to try to help curb this, this pandemic that we're living in the midst of in America that is fatherlessness. And through our conversation today, God, I pray that you would help your people to see, again, your heart. Anytime I think of this issue of fathers and children, my mind always goes to Luke 15 and the prodigal of the, or the parable of the prodigal son. And seeing your heart displayed in the father when his son, who had essentially wished him dead and taken everything and went and squandered his whole life. And your word tells us that the father looked and when he saw his son Coming across the horizon, he said, kill the fattened calf. My son who was lost has come home. And so this morning, God, I just pray that as we begin, that uh, recognizing the magnitude of these statistics, the relevance of them, I pray, God, that you would help those today who may be one of these statistics. Maybe they're an absent father. Maybe they're a a child who's struggling under the weight of that. I pray, God, that they would see your grace. They would know, God, that restoration and hope is possible because of who Jesus is, because of what Jesus has accomplished. I pray today that you would do your work in us and through us, and that you be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. I would submit to you this morning, if we are going to buck the trend of the deterioration of the fabric and fiber of America, we have to address the issue of absent, both physical and emotional men. Ingredient number four is men. It's men. I want to begin by saying something that I will go a little bit deeper with in just a moment. As we prepare to examine the ingredient of the necessity of men in the process of making disciples, I want to say very clearly, you can make disciples without men. This is in no way, shape, or form a discussion about the superiority of men to women, because there is not one biblically. Men are not superior to women, and women are not inferior to men. But if we're going to look at the Word of God, and we're going to view it as the truth that I believe it is, I pray that you believe it is as well, we must understand that God has created, we looked at this a few weeks ago together, didn't we, when we talked about the issue of of sexuality. God has created, and when He created, He created uh, man and woman in His image, and He created them equal in value and worth but with distinct separate roles that are designed to work in tandem one to another to bring the most glory to God. And so women, ladies, young ladies, when we have a conversation about the need for men, please do not take it personal. Please do not view it as me looking to God's word and saying men are more important I wouldn't submit that they're more important, but the statistics tell us that they're vitally important. Why? Because that's the role that God gave them. 
Well, God created man and woman in his image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He gave them distinct roles, and the man was designed to lead. And so I'm going to say more about that in just a moment. But I want you to understand the immediate context of our passage. If we're reading through the New Testament and we come to First and Second Timothy, we're engaging with what uh, a, a number of books are known as this, but these are two of the books that are known as pastoral epistles. Paul is writing to a pastor named Timothy in a city called Ephesus. And Paul is, uh, or Timothy is pastoring this church in Ephesus. And if you go back to, to 1 Timothy, there's a lot that Paul says to Timothy about the need to raise up men, right? To be leaders in the church. And he talks about what kind of men are qualified to lead in the church. And so in 2 Timothy, we're still having this discussion. We're still talking about our immediate context is the leadership of men in the church. It's the leadership of men in general. And Paul does not shy away from the reality that godly men are needed to lead the church in Ephesus. They're to teach others, and they are to multiply that which they have been taught from Titus, which we looked at a couple weeks ago was the same thing that Titus had received from Paul, the preeminence of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as I've alluded to already, there are so many conversations that exist in our culture about all of the things that we should be doing or trying to do to fix what is wrong and how we need to offer programs and opportunities for the sake of trying to help those who are a a part of the aforementioned statistics. But as I've said, and as you can tell, I feel very passionately about, I don't hear anyone recommending we actually address the problem. In fact, the culture that we live in is exasperating the problem by promoting lies about men and the design that God made for them. You don't need men. Women can do everything that men can do. Then why are single moms who have a single family home four times more likely to be in poverty? There is an assault in our culture, on the nuclear family, and especially the role and responsibility of a man. And at some point, the very people who say we understand what the identity of a man is, that is the church, must say something. We must call lies, lies. Listen, I'm going here. It's kind of hard to find online. I was able to dig it up this past week. Maybe you've seen this. Maybe you haven't. If you haven't and you would like to see it, I would be happy to make it available to you. But over the last two years, we have become very, um, uh, very much uh, impacted by um, and presented with organizations such as Black Lives Matter. Now, I have to say this as a caveat because I don't like to leave anything up to assumption. I absolutely believe that black lives matter. But I will not support an organization whose very foundation is the destruction of the nuclear family in the United States of America. 
Black Lives Matter made it known to the world that their goal, their communist Marxist agenda, they self-identify as Marxists, is to destroy the very fiber of America. And how many people, by the millions, got sucked right in? And more sadly, how many people in the church, by the millions, were sucked right in? We don't take the time to learn, to know, or to understand anything. We hear quippy statements like Black Lives Matter. They do. I'm not making a mockery of black lives. Please know that. But we, we attach ourselves to these organizations in names of, 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 of justice and righteousness completely devoid of the only source of real justice and righteousness, the Word of God. Black Lives Matter has done nothing but further exasperate the issue of black lives in America. They work to to go against the progress that's been made. Now, I'm not saying there's not work to be done, okay? Because I understand this is a reality, too. In the United States of America, if you're a white man who talks about racism, you're just speaking from your white privilege, I just want people to know the truth. I don't care if you're black, white, green, pink, or purple. You are made in the image of God, and you have equal value and worth as the person next to you who may be a different color. In the church, we've been sucked in. And we say we want to support these groups and these people, and we want to try to protect them, and we should try to protect all people groups. And we, let, we attach ourselves to organizations that are trying to destroy the very foundation. And I'm not kidding. It's flat out printed. It's not, it's not, a, it's not an accident or coincidence that you cannot find the original mission statement of Black Lives Matter without some work. We need to address the problem we need to address the problem we need men what communities in the country that we live in are most impacted by fatherlessness it's the urban communities i don't have to give you the statistics but that doesn't negate the fact that it's an issue here too it's an issue we need men we need them in the church We need them in our homes. We need them in our communities. And this call for men is rooted in what Scripture teaches, not in light of what it does not. And if we adhere to God's word as true, then we absolutely cannot understate the importance of men in the lives of the church and the home. Now, I want to remind you something I've already touched on. I am not saying that women are not important. And that's why we must adhere to what God's word says instead of what it doesn't. Because our culture would tell you, if you believe that men were designed to lead, you're misogynistic and you hate women. That's garbage. That's garbage. God's word says men and women are of equal value with distinct roles. And we must seek to protect and preserve them for the betterment of a culture and a society whereby when a man and a woman function as God designed, everybody flourishes. It's for the good of everyone. 
I want you to know, if you're going to take a stand and you're going to say that God has designed with purposes and with roles, you're not going to be looked upon as anything other than evil. You're harsh and you're wrong and all of these things. But I want you to understand this. It was our departure from the word of God that has brought us to where we are today. And if we don't recommit to the word of God, we're not going to do anything to reverse the trends that are producing these statistics in the United States of America and the world we live in. And I want to give you an example real quick of this. I shared with you a few weeks ago of when we were preaching back in January, I guess it's been right about a month now, and we were preaching on God's design for sexuality. And I shared with you guys, you know, that... Uh, um, we tend to not get too riled up with things that we don't think affect us. And I shared with you, you might recall, that in West Lafayette, Indiana, Tippecanoe County, that there was a, an ordinance, a bill that was sitting on the city council's desk to make it unlawful, punishable by law, for biblical counselors to use the word of God in counseling people in matters of sexuality. And by the way, I want you to know that the people they counseled with the word of God came to them for counseling. If you did a little bit of research this week or next week or whenever, you would see the kind of lies that the culture produces to try to advance their agenda. Pastor Aaron and I were talking this week, and I seen a thing that somebody in, in, in up there in, in West Lafayette had put out when they were talking about um, how basically they made the counselors at Faith Church there in that counseling ministry as like the predators who were going out and prowling for children to manipulate them and deceive them with the word of God. It's absolutely not what's happening. People are coming to faith for counseling. But here's what I want you to know. Here's the reason I bring that back up. Because this past Monday, maybe you've seen this. It was time to vote on WS31-21 ordinance in Tippecanoe County, West Lafayette. And I want you to know something. It failed. It failed. Why? Because when the people of God stand upon the word of God, according to God, he moves. He makes, he, he works, he, he works through his people who stand upon his truth. But we don't stand upon his truth. The culture will tell you you're evil and wicked because you hate people who think differently than you do. No, I don't hate anybody that thinks differently than I do. But that doesn't mean I'm going to relinquish what I believe is truth. I'm going to love people in and through that. And so as we consider this reality of men and their role in discipleship, I want to start actually by just having a quick uh, couple observations that I want to make about women. Recently, we, pre we preached through the book of Titus. And in Titus chapter 2, verse 3, we read this. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They're to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Women, you play a vital role in discipleship too. Okay? We are not minimizing the role that women play Okay, by examining the role that men play. Because we're suffering under the weight of men failing to fulfill the role that God has designed. And again, I want to remind, I, I want to remind you, I want to reiterate that women, they play a role in this process because men and women share equal value. They're equally made in the image of God and therefore they're equally useful to the purposes and the glory of God. 
equally created in God's image, equally guilty before God because of sin, equally redeemable by faith in the gospel, both will equally be resurrected. But men and women are created with different roles, and that is not bad, wrong, or evil, regardless of what our culture would tell you. In fact, what we find is that when both men and women live in accord with God's divine design, the result is the type of society that we all say we want. And that's the great irony of organizations that are seeking to act and work on behalf of people. They're literally saying we want a society that functions in a healthy, profitable, beneficial for everybody way. The irony is that they would submit that happens by tearing down the nuclear structure of the family. That happens by blurring the the roles that God has given for men and for women. But that's not how it works at all. You see, the relationship between the man and the woman is ultimately designed to show the world a picture of the relationship between Jesus Christ and his bride, the church. You know, after all, that's what a marriage is. You know, the term marriage is a biblical term that speaks to the union of a man and a woman before God. So it's really a three-part, not to sound all fanciful, but it's really a, a covenant. This is why I take marriage. So you come to me, you say, hey, pastor, will you marry us? You have to know Jesus. Okay, you can't live in open rebellion to his word. And, and we're going to spend some time together looking into his word about marriage before I will agree to marry, before I'll agree to marry anyone. Because marriage is important. And it's sad that in the church today, we know those statistics as well, that people are, are separating and, and all of that is coming in. It's a reality in the church today too. But because marriage is supposed to be a picture of a man and a woman functioning in their divine design according to the roles that God gave them, coming together and being a picture for the onlooking world of the marriage between Christ and his bride, that is the church, marriage or divorce is destructive. And we have to take marriage seriously. Women, I've said this, I'm going to keep saying it. You are valuable and equally important in this process. I'm not minimizing you today. But we cannot skirt around the elephant in the room of our culture. We need men. Timothy needed them in his church and community, and we need them in ours. Men, your role is vital. And so I want to give you this morning, men, just three things. There's more. But I want to give you three things that fit underneath the umbrella of God's design for you as a man. These are within your role to advance the purpose and the cause of Christ and to bring him glory. Three functions within your role. Number one, men love God. And that's not a statement. Men love God. That's a call to action. Men, love God. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. You see, the primary function of your role as a man is to love God and to lead others to do the same. Love God and lead others to do the same. And I trust we know. If we don't, I'm going to tell you in keeping with this. What was the first and greatest commandment that Jesus gave? He was pressed by the scribes and they said, Teacher, surely you know the law. Which of the commandments is the greatest? 
And Jesus summarized for them. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And then he went a little bit further. He, he doubled up. He gave them a little more than they asked for. He said, and the second greatest commandment is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. These are the greatest, is what Jesus said. Men, love God. You see, if we're going to reverse the trend of fatherlessness, then we need men who are committed to God and his word and that they would have a desire to love him and lead others to do the same. I've probably shared in some capacity with some of you before. I believe that this is the foundation. Because number one, the word of God tells us we love why? Because God first loved us. You cannot love people apart from first Loving Christ. And I've probably, this is a story I was getting ready to reference just a minute ago. Some of you guys know the testimony, my wife and I, and how we met and everything that goes into that and all, and I'll share that on another day. But there, there came a breaking point for my wife when we met. And we were, you know, kind of on again, off again dating. Of course, this was like, whew, what is this, about 15 years ago now? Holy moly. And um, I was not a believer in Jesus. I knew some answers to some questions, but I had no concept of what it meant to have a relationship with Jesus Christ by grace through faith, to love Jesus and who he is and what he's done for me. And you know, one night, my wife was having a conversation with her parents, as she did often around this issue of her and I dating. And her dad said to her, honey, you have to know that if he doesn't love Jesus, he cannot love you the way that you are to be loved because he doesn't know what love is. Men, we must love Jesus. And that might sound fanciful today. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about what it means to love Jesus because men, if we are going to step up and make a difference and reverse the trends of the statistics that are plaguing the families and our communities, then we must love Jesus. Some might say, well, that's narrow-sighted. That's your opinion, Pastor Justin. It is. But what has not loving Jesus got us? It's got us a, a, a culture and a society that is busting at its seams under the weight of brokenness. Why? Because it's not operating under God's design. Men, we were created to lead by God and for God. This is our primary stewardship. Another word for stewardship is assignment. Your primary job is to lead for and by God. Ultimately, why? For the glory of God. Do all that you do for the glory of God. That's what the word of God tells us. Secondly, men, love your wives. Again, this is not a men love your wives. This is a call to action. Men, love your wives. And you may not be married. That's okay. Maybe someday you will be. Learn now how to love a wife. Learn now how to love a woman. Okay, and as I say this, even if you're not married and you're thinking, well, what does it look like to learn how to love a wife? And love? We could talk about some of that, but also I want you to understand something. I told you just a minute ago what Jesus said, right? Commandment number one, love the Lord your God, Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Commandment number two is love your neighbor as yourself. Love people. If you're not married, love people. Men, young men, love people. 
Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, the Apostle Paul writing subsequently to the church in Ephesus that was pastored by Timothy, says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. If you are married, the first commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart. And the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. And if you are married, there is no closer neighbor than your wife. Men, love your wives. And how do you love her? Like Christ loved the church. What did Christ do for the church? He bore the weight of the wrath of God on the, sin at, or on the cross at Calvary. That's what he did. It was a sacrificial love. It's really hard. It's really hard for a man who loves his wife like Christ loved the church to be a part of the problem of fatherlessness in our world. If you love your wife, if you're married, and you love your wife like Christ loved the church, you are committed. You are all in. You hear people say stuff like, marriage is 50-50. No, it's not. Marriage is 100-100. You go 50-50, you're always going to be waiting for your spouse to pick up their 50. You're always going to be trying to figure out where their 50 ends and your 50 begins. It's funny. Nowhere in the Word of God do we read that a marriage relationship is 50-50. I don't read that at all. Husbands, as the leaders, it starts with us. Again, this is by God's divine design. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. The absolute best thing that a man can do if he has kids is love their mother. If you're a man who's married and has children, you will set your children up for success if you love their mother like the word of God calls you to. Because if you have sons, they will watch, they will hear, they will listen, and they will learn how it is God expects a man to love his wife underneath the umbrella of his role and divine design. And if you're like me and you have daughters, they're learning what to look for. You want to talk about, listen, I know some of you don't have daughters. I think it's the scariest thing in the world to think that my daughters might grow up and meet somebody like me. That's not a joke, Bob. (laughs) I, I, <clears throat> if, you, if you have daughters, <clears throat> I would encourage you to ask yourself every single day. <clears throat> when my daughter's 16, what if she brings me home? You want to look into the lens of what kind of father you are? Just imagine your daughter brings you home. Man, you gotta love your wives. You gotta love your wives. Because if your example is bad, your kids are gonna grow up with a skewed perspective of what love is. If your example of love is not because Christ first loved you and you've understood this, then they're not gonna know what love is. And they're gonna grow up with a skewed understanding. If you devalue women, your kids will too. Husbands must love their wives, and in doing so, they demonstrate to their children how Christ loved the church. Christ's love was sacrificial. It was present. It was not absent. 
There was no way for Christ to atone for the sins of mankind underneath the weight of God's wrath without being physically nailed to a cross. And I know this to be true because the night Jesus was arrested, he prayed in the garden of Gethsemane, Father, if there be any way, let this cup pass from me. Nonetheless, not my will, but yours. And in just a few short hours, he was nailed to a cross. His love was present. It was sacrificial, not superficial. Men, raise your children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6, right where we left off after men love God. Moses says in Deuteronomy 6, And these words that I command you today, they shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Literally, what Moses is saying there is the things that you have been taught when it comes to the Word of God should be at the forefront of your mind all the time. And that's not, that doesn't mean that we're making little robots, but it means that we're motivated by and we're mindful of what the Word of God teaches. We're being taught and we're taking it in, and then it's at the forefront of our minds. We're teaching our kids. You, you see a picture there where he says you write them on the doorposts of your house and your gates. When you walk out your house, you see what the Lord has commanded. When you walk out your gates, you see what the Lord has commanded. When you walk in your gates, you see what the Lord has commanded. When you walk in the doorposts, you see what the Lord has commanded. Whoo! You tracking with me? We must see what the Lord has commanded. Because if we're going to be leaders, men, if we have children, we must be raising them in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And so if I could summarize that, I would say this. It simply means that through our demonstration and our leadership, kids are learning what it means to know and to love God and in turn to live for his glory. But men, if we are not living for God's glory over everything else, there is a great chance that our kids will not live for his glory either. Now, yes, God can work. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I've shared that with you before. And when I was 21 years old, I saw my need for salvation by grace through faith in Jesus. And subsequently, God has worked through that, and my mother and father would both claim to be believers today. They profess to be. I believe that they are. And so God can work. And that's why I open with saying things like, fatherlessness is not a death sentence. But if we want our kids to live for God's glory, then we must... Because after all, everything that was created was created for that purpose, to bring God glory. And this, of all the things that were created, especially includes mankind. It's not until after Genesis 1.27 that God created the male and female. In the image of God, he created the male and female that we read. You go on down there to verse 31 of Genesis 1, it says, And God looked, and behold, everything that he made was very good. Prior to that, it was just good. It was good stuff happening. But when the pinnacle of God's creation, his image bearers were set in the midst of everything that he had created, he looked and behold, his only response was, this is very good. But the reason we have to have conversations today about fatherlessness 
is because everything changed in the Garden of Eden when sin entered into the world. And when sin entered into the world, mankind became selfish and lazy. We became more concerned with our own wants, our own needs, our own whatever than we did in the context of marriage, our spouse, our families, our kids. If we're willing to be honest this morning, most of us spend far more time pursuing our own glory than we do pursuing God's. We work so much less on knowing and understanding God than we do in just about every other area of our lives. And I want to be clear this morning. I've said this already and I'm going to, read, I'm going to repeat it, reiterate it. The failure of men and the resulting destruction of the nuclear family are wreaking havoc on our society and our churches. If we're going to make disciples as God intended, we need men. We need men who will lead the charge. Men who will love God and who will love their wives and their children enough to prioritize them over themselves. And so I would simply ask you this morning... Men, will you acknowledge with me, if you have, that you have dropped the ball? That's not an indictment. That's an invitation to acknowledge that we've dropped the ball. So will you acknowledge with me that perhaps you've dropped the ball? And I want to be clear in saying, because notice I was very careful to include myself. I may not be running amok. And I may not be, you know, living in this open sin or doing this or doing that. But I want you to understand something. I'm not perfect. There's only one who was perfect and they killed him for it. And, and the example that I've been called to from the word of God is to love like he did. I wish I was good at it. I wish it was natural. But it's not. I have to fight hard to put away selfishness. To put my wife's needs over my own. To put my kids' needs over my own. I know I'm not the only one in this room who is selfish. Men, will you acknowledge with me that maybe you've dropped the ball? And I want to ask you too especially, maybe maybe you're there physically. Because in contexts like ours, in rural America, it's more likely that men are physically present. But are you emotionally present? Are you invested in the lives of your family? Again, are you prioritizing them? And so as we think about this question, this invitation to acknowledge that perhaps we've dropped the ball, I want to ask a few questions. In light of a number of conversations we've had recently, as we consider men and their role, the call to love God, to love your wives, and to lead your children, I want to ask you this. Have you been born again? Is the gospel preeminent in your life? Are you faithful? Because that's what the world needs. Because that's what your family needs. And you might agree today that things should be different. And you might be all bent out of shape about the way things have gone off the rails. But let's be real together this morning. Are we a part of the problem? Does the world look at the church and say, they don't set an example? 
They don't care about the things of Christ. If they, they might say they love Jesus. They might say they're committed to the word of God, but are they? Because we don't see it. Because we got all the same issues in the church as we do outside of the world. And yes, there's a reality. It's because the same sinful people that make up the church are the same sinful people that live in the world. But we, as believers, claim to have something they don't. Are we a part of the problem? Are you living for God's glory or are you living for your own? Are you born again? Do you live like the gospel matters? Literally, we talked two weeks ago about the gospel being the most important thing that any of us could ever possess. That's a really high standard. Do you live like that? Do you strive to live like that even? Are you faithful? Are you faithful in your responsibilities? When I say faithful, I don't mean faithful in the sense of fidelity, although that obviously is part of this equation. But are you faithful at home? Are you faithful and committed to your wife and your kids and their needs? Because this is how we make disciples. By faithfulness. By being born again. By living as though the gospel is preeminent in our lives. This is how we make a difference in our homes, our churches, and our community. And women... Please know that just because God's design is for men to lead, it does not mean that these same questions are not relevant to you today. Does the gospel matter? Have you been born again? Are you faithful? Because the best way to bring glory to God is for each of us, men and women, to function in the roles that he has designed and given us by making us men and women. Men, it's time to lead the charge. It's time to lead for change. Change in our homes, our churches, our communities, our world. All for the glory of Jesus Christ.